So the reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 8, verses 18 to 27, page 973 in your church Bibles. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. A... uh Surprising poll finding was uh, revealed last week, um, which uh, uh, oh, okay. a, a surprising poll finding was revealed uh, last week. Three thousand people were asked which dead person they would most like to meet, and top of the list came Jesus Christ thereby proving that it's not just in church but outside church as well that Jesus Christ is thought to be the right answer to every question. One in three people, surprisingly, said they would like to meet Jesus above anyone else. The sponsors had expected uh, Princess Diana, but she came second, and here's the full list if you're interested. Spokesperson uh, was quoted as saying, Uh, These results show that Jesus Christ will always be the British public's superstar. Which is remarkable, isn't it? So those who say that the uh, church is dying, that secularism provides all that people uh, need, will be surprised that a large section of the British public disagree. It's not uh, Nietzsche or Bertrand Russell that they want to meet, but Jesus Christ. But I wonder, what sort of person do they expect him to be? I'm sure that you've all had the experience of seeing someone in a whole new light following some event or other. Well, that's how it was for the crowds who were following Jesus. As Matthew's account of Jesus' life unfolds, we see Jesus... uh, first presented as a great religious teacher. And the Sermon on the Mount, which spans the three chapters that precede the one that we're looking at today, encapsulates the uh, greatest teaching of all time. No wonder then that when Jesus 
had finished. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Then if you were here last week, you'll have heard Neil talk about how Jesus also had um, undertook physical healing, showing that he had authority to heal as well as to speak. And today, in today's passage, we see fresh ways in which Jesus has authority. We see him in another new light, not just with the authority of a great teacher, not just with the authority of a great healer, but with authority over nature, an authority that belongs to God. But more of that uh, later. First, let's go back to the beginning of the passage that Sue um, read to us, because I think it's a very surprising passage. It has a, a lot that it can teach us about who Jesus is and why he came. Would you plan, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18? It's on page 973. And the first surprise which struck me as I read this passage was that Jesus challenges the crowd. Verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he said what? Sign up here, become members of the Jesus party, gather around and listen to my teaching? No. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. It was time to move on, which is surprising in itself because a modern-day politician wouldn't do that. Modern-day politician would seek to capitalise on that popular support. But despite Jesus' attempts to move on, verse 19, a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Here was a man ready to join up with Jesus. So how does Jesus respond to this potential recruit? Come along, we can use all the support we can get. No. Verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the message translation puts it even more directly. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns you know. You see, for the followers of Jesus, it's more a case of no home than second home allowance. Jesus realised that this man was being too hasty. He needed to reflect more fully, more carefully on the... uh, Reality on the cost of discipleship. At the Last Supper, which we will commemorate shortly, Jesus told his disciples that they should expect to be treated as he was treated. The Christian life is not going to be one of ease and comfort. And you know, folks, we do no one any favours if we state or even imply that it is as we proclaim the Gospel. So true discipleship requires careful consideration. But if that first man was too hasty, verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, 
first let me go and bury my father. On the surface, this doesn't seem to be too unreasonable a request, particularly on Father's Day. Um, I don't think it was Father's Day then, but it's Father's Day today. But we must understand what it means. It can't mean that his father had just died, because a burial took place very soon after uh, someone uh, had died. So it could be that his father um, was still alive. And actually what the man was saying was, let me wait until my father's died and that responsibility is over and then I will follow you. Some stage in the future. And even that, you may think, is a reasonable request. But what does Jesus say? Verse 22. Jesus uh, told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Which probably means let the waverers bury their dead. While Jesus elsewhere upholds clearly the biblical command to honour father and mother, this statement stresses the radical demands of discipleship. The call to, to follow Jesus rises above all other allegiances. Anything, anything that, 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 that hinders unqualified commitment to Jesus must be put aside. This man, you see, was being too dilatory. The decision to follow Jesus cannot be put off forever through procrastination. So, what does this passage teach us about the important question of what sort of people do follow Jesus? Well, Matthew distinguishes clearly between the crowd on the one hand, who are interested but frankly uncommitted, and the disciples on the other, who were, uh, whose personal commitment to Jesus had to take priority over everything else. They shared his homelessness. They even family responsibilities had to take second place to following Jesus. So I wonder, into which camp would you put yourself? This morning, are you someone who, like the crowd, uh, is interested in what Jesus has to say? You may indeed have a, a great admiration for his, his teaching. In which case, the challenge for you is don't procrastinate. Or are you someone who is a follower of Jesus? If so, the challenge here is for us to consider what he is asking you and me to surrender so that we can follow him more closely. That might mean something which even in itself is perfectly worthy, like family relationships. Those whom God calls to serve him overseas, for example, sacrifice the wider family relationships. Or perhaps it's career that is becoming between us and, and God. Or simply to tighter grasp on our possessions, which can so easily clutter our lives. 
Jesus' challenge to the, to the crowd tests their commitment. And wherever we stand with Jesus today, there's a challenge for us as well. Let's take time today to consider what that challenge is and how we might respond to it. But the second surprise in this passage is that Jesus leads his disciples into her storm. The narrative continues, verse 23, Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Here's an artist's impression of a typical Galilean fishing vessel at the time. And then verse 24, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. You may think that this is surprising. Experienced fishermen setting off into a storm in a small boat, but you see, the Sea of Galilee is a, is a strange body of water. Cool Mediterranean air is, is drawn down through the narrow mountain passes and clashes with a hot, humid air lying over the lake. Sudden storms can appear over the surrounding mountains with little warning, stirring the water into violent storms. And even by those standards, this storm was no ordinary storm. Matthew, actually in the Greek, uses the word seismos, which, as you might guess, means earthquake. So, if the storm was not surprising, what follows certainly is. Verse 24 at the end. Jesus was sleeping. How could he? I mean... I know Jesus was tired, it was a long day. Jesus was fully man like you and me, but susceptible to tiredness, obviously. But storm, small boat, waves coming over the side, was Jesus just physically exhausted? Or was there an inner peace that came from knowing that he was safe in his Father's hands? Just imagine the scene in your mind's eye for a moment and you will have a clear picture of our central theme for today. Jesus came for calm, not worry. I'm sure you will all be able to identify a a, a crisis in your life where your faith has been tested to its limits. One day we're quietly going about our lives when suddenly, without warning, a storm breaks upon us and our whole lives are turned upside down. You see, as Christians, we are not isolated from the world, but incarnate in the world. So what happens to the world happens to us as well. And storms, whether they are the financial storms that have shaken many a bank account and brought insecurity to many a job, or whether they are the storm of bereavement, sickness or injury affecting us or someone close to us, whether they are the the storms that affect our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world facing persecution. We go through these storms 
with all of the pain and uncertainty that they provoke. But, as Christians, we can know something of the the calm that Jesus knew in that little fishing vessel in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And many people in the midst of a storm in their lives can and do testify to the inner peace that comes from knowing that God's presence in their lives. But there is more, as last week we see how Jesus was interested in the spiritual well-being of his disciples. Jesus, after all, led his disciples into a storm, I think, to strengthen their faith. Let's read on, verse 25. The disciples went and woke Jesus, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. The storm was so bad that even experienced fishermen called for help. And how does Jesus respond when he is woken? Verse 26, he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? I suppose you can see his point, can't you? Jesus had led them into the boat. He was with them in the boat. Only hours earlier they had witnessed him perform remarkable healings with just a word. If he wasn't worried, why should they be? And notice very carefully what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, you of no faith. He says, you of little faith, deficient faith. In stark contrast, interestingly, to the Roman centurion we read about last week, Um, of whom Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Perhaps the whole expedition was an exercise in faith development. Faith, like muscles, needs exercise to become strong. And I wonder if sometimes you and I need to take our faith down to the gym and give it a good old workout. As we mentioned earlier, Sue and I are leading a Scripture Union holiday uh, later in the summer, and that is certainly stretching our faith, extending and and strengthening our faith. And I would encourage you to to find an area of Christian service which takes you out of your comfort zone and teaches you to trust God more. There is no better way of developing effective faith. And we've got space for volunteers later this uh, summer, either in this country and in Romania and Ukraine, or think about it for next summer. If you're interested, do talk to me afterwards. Because faith development of that kind will help prepare us for those occasions when we're thrust into a storm of of, of seismic proportions. Because those tough times are part of normal Christian discipleship. But the good news as we have uh, learned from our series in Hebrews in the evenings, is that Jesus doesn't put us through testing that he has not himself endured. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To test, to strengthen his faith. And the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are 
yet was without sin. The temptation he's talking about there is the temptation to throw in the towel, to call it a day, to say, I've had enough. Jesus understands. He's been there. He's got the T-shirt. But he pressed on until he said, it's finished. As we will celebrate shortly in Holy Communion. It may be that you are in the midst of an earthquake today. If so, please remember that it's not the circumstances of our lives that should really count, but the fact that Jesus is is with us in the boat of our lives, if you like. And a, a sure way of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is by meeting him daily through his word. And if you don't read the Bible every day at the moment, let me take this opportunity just to encourage you to start that daily Bible reading habit today. Maybe look at work life. And the third and most important surprise that Jesus shows, that shows Jesus in a whole new light is that Jesus has authority over nature. Verse 26. And Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Gosh. Sometimes I think we are so familiar with a passage that we miss its power. Let me read that again. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. You notice that little word, rebuke? Strange word for calming a storm, don't you think? It's a bit like a headmaster going into a, a rowdy classroom and issuing a stern rebuke, except here we're not talking about rowdy schoolboys. We're talking about wind and waves. Quiet. Be still, Jesus said. The wind died down and it was completely calm. What does this tell us about Jesus? Well, that's exactly the question that his disciples wanted to know. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Answer, it shows that Jesus was God. God is able to command the sea. Absolute authority over waves and sea belongs to God alone. You see, some people say that Jesus didn't claim to be God. He did here. Not in so many words, but indirectly. No wonder the disciples didn't know what to make of him. Which brings us back to the question I asked at the beginning. What do you and I make of Jesus? Perhaps for someone here today, it's your make up your mind time. You can accept the teacher, even the healer, but God? See, the evidence of this passage demands a verdict. Is now the time for that decision. Or perhaps someone here, our understanding of God is just too small. As we come to know Jesus as friend, we easily lose sight of him as God. Sometimes the storms in our lives do continue unabated. 
May we not be guilty of shrinking God to a scale that we can comprehend and thus limit what he wants to do in our lives. Jesus came for calm, not worry. Jesus challenged the crowd to test their commitment. He is looking for disciples who put him first in their lives. And you know, there is a calm that comes from knowing that we are where Jesus wants us to be. Jesus led his disciples into a storm to strengthen their faith. And there is a calm from, that comes from knowing that Jesus is with us. And he uses those storms to strengthen our faith for our eternal benefit. And Jesus shows authority over nature to prove that he is God. To which we can but respond, my Lord and my God. Jesus is Lord. And to acknowledge that brings its own sense of calm. Verse 